From the Scratch Lab Studios in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. Over the top radio, we're chatting today with Larry Optus. Larry loves climbing, and uh, we're going to be talking a lot about you going uphill, Larry. Thanks very much for joining us. Oh, you're most welcome, George. Thank you for having me. Now, Larry, tell us a little bit about your Everesting for a Cause. Sure, uh, I'd love to. Um, so for the viewers, uh, for the listeners that are not familiar with Everesting, and it's something that's become quite common in the last couple of years, uh, Everesting is uh, essentially doing the elevation of Mount Everest on one hill and one ride nonstop. And that's kind of how you get the accreditation from everesting.com. Uh, they're based out of Australia. And uh, you basically go out and pick a Strava segment, and, uh, and then you repeat that until you reach that elevation of 8,848 meters. Um, and that's basically what Everesting is. Uh, and for me, personally, it's, uh, it was a huge challenge. I knew it was going to be a unique challenge as well. And uh, I wanted to do it for, for a good cause and something that's close to my heart is uh, youth mental health. It's something that uh, has affected me in my life uh, when I was younger. And I aligned myself with an organization called Jack.org, and they're empowering a lot of young leaders across Canada and shaping the way we look at mental health and, uh, and approach it and how we can scale that summit and the stigma that surrounds mental health. Now, Larry, mental health, that's a, that's a pretty general topic. So I don't want to pry too deeply, but, I mean, that is my job. So. Okay. <laughs> um, how did that affect sure. you as a youth? Sure, yeah, I'd love to share it. And uh, there's actually a great video online as well. So 15,000 people have viewed it, and there's some personal comments that I've made on it. But uh, when I was a teenager, I had severe depression, and cycling was a a way out for me and as a way for me to escape. And uh, eventually as my rides took me further outward, you know, I realized I was actually going inward and gave me great perspective and clarity on life. It also built my confidence and I was able to set a lot of goals uh, in, in some of the cycling adventures that I've done in races. So that's kind of how it's affected me uh, when I was younger. And it's just something that really resonates with me. And I think I can relate to a lot of, uh, young kids, teenagers that might be struggling. And um, that's, that's the message, yeah. Now, how does the organization that you're raising funds for help youth? So uh, Jack.org, uh, their mission is to create a national uh, network of passionate young leaders uh, that's focused on creating a cultural shift in mental health and the conversation around it, and then leveraging that uh, to influence uh, youth-led systems. So there's various programs that, uh, that they've uh, created, uh, some of which are the Jack.org Talks. It's a one-to-one peer-to-peer outreach system within uh, schools, high schools and universities. They also do an annual summit where they bring 200 students from across Canada for a three-day skill-building collaboration conference. So then those young leaders can go back into their communities and share that information with their peers, with their teachers, with their parents. Um, so that's how they're shaping the, uh, the next generation of young leaders. And I think if we want to see a change uh, in the next decade, a generational change in mental health and how we approach it, we have to start with our youth. 
and empower them, give them the tools and the skills necessary for them to thrive in life. How do we get through to youth to seek help with mental health? Because that could be a real stigma. Uh, people feel that as adults, but especially as a youngster. I think it's just talking about it and approaching mental health in the same way that we approach physical health and, and having that same level of importance. Uh, we put a lot of emphasis, I think, on being physically healthy. And uh, I think we have to sort of put that focus and attention on mental health as well and making sure that we take care of our mental health. So whether that's just through education, through aware, through awareness and uh, being sensitive, uh, uh, you know, to people and just and realizing that, you know, we're going to have some days where we're not going to feel so great, but it's OK to talk about it. And talking, I think, is is the key. And, uh, you know, and mental health is something that affects, I think, all of us, you know, whether it's directly or indirectly. But even through the process in the last few months, I realized how vital that role is for everyone and that we can all make a difference. We can all make a change in this landscape so that, you know, mental health is seen as important as physical health. You know, this is interesting, too. I've, I've had two TBIs. I don't want to turn this on myself, but <clears throat> sure. going through rehab for the physical injuries, people can see that and they become very supportive of you. But as I came back, the brain injury was causing me a lot of problems. And, you know, the reaction from people was just, wow, you're looking great. You're doing really well. But inside it was like, no, I'm not doing well at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and it's just recognizing, I think, some of those signs and symptoms. And I think, I think this is where we can all play a part. And that role uh, that someone plays... Uh, that person that's indirectly affected by it, I think they can have uh, a significant uh, role to play in in making sure that, uh, you know, the stigma that surrounds mental health is is broken down. Now, Larry, let's talk a little bit about mental health and ultra-endurance athletics. I'm thinking of your Everesting, 500-mile races, race across America, things like that. Um, We're out there because we're really driven. I mean, there's something going on there. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, for me, it's always about striving. It's about challenging yourself at, at every point in your life. Uh, you know, you can create challenges for yourself in your twenties, thirties, forties, and then well into your sixties, seventies and eighties, I think. And, and what's happening out there when you do, you know, create a certain challenge or whether it's, uh, getting involved in a race uh, of that length, well, you're going you're gonna to find out certain things about yourself that you may have known. And, you know, you go through a transformation. Um, you are going to be a different person at the end of that ride. And for me, when I did Race Across America, you know, I didn't have one of the fastest times, probably one of the slowest times ever. <laughs> but in the last 100 miles coming into Atlantic City, I started thinking about, you know, what does this race mean to me? And, and in those closing miles, I realized that it's not important the place that I, that, that I come in, you know, in terms of rankings, but it's the place that I'm going to arrive at in my life. Am I further along in my life than when I started in Oceanside, California? 
And, uh, you know, am I going to be a better person? Am I going to be more patient, et cetera? And, and it, that takes a long time to unravel as well, because as a good friend of mine, Ron Mitchell, would say, races like that are a compression of life. The emotions that you experience in 10 days are the emotions that you might experience in a full year of cycling and living. And so it's going to take some time to unravel as well. So the gifts of that ride and the teachings and the lessons take some time to, to come to fruition. But eventually you do create a better version of yourself. You, you're in a way recreating yourself. It does really strip you bare to yourself as you're riding. And uh, sometimes you don't like what you see. <laughs> yeah, and uh, these races, and, and even in life, when you're climbing Everest in life, because many of us do climb many summits, it's when you know when you're vulnerable, when you're at your weakest. That's the most potential for growth, for personal growth, and that's where change happens. And I know with Everesting, I knew that it was going to be a unique challenge for me as well, just mentally, just thinking about those numbers. But you have to sort of transcend the numbers. And in the same way you do a a transcontinental race, well, you have to transcend that continent in your mind. You have to see yourself finishing, right? Otherwise, you're never going to get there. You have to see that future finished in advance and then fully immerse yourself into the process and embrace every part of that process. And, And don't think about how weak you're becoming, but how strong you're becoming, you know? Now, I want to focus on the Everesting you did as your fundraiser. First of all, how do you pick a climb? It's got to be long mm. enough so that you get some uh, elevation with each climb. I would think it couldn't be too steep, even though the steeper, the quicker. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so how did yeah. you plan out where you were going to do this? Did you have a time limit on yourself? And tell us about the event. Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I'm just north of the city here, north of Toronto, Ontario. So, you know, we don't have the luxury of some of the long climbs like they do in the desert and in the Rockies. And so we, you know, typically, if you're going to do an Everest out here, you have to do 50 repetitions up to 100, up to 250 repetitions of a climb. And uh, the climb that I picked had a 96 meters of elevation. So, it required 92 repetitions in order to reach that elevation of Everest. And the total distance was 400 and um, just over 422 kilometers. I did a little bit more than that, actually. But uh, so there's a challenge uh, just around picking the right climb. And then, like you said, with the gradient, uh, you know, one of my uh, strengths is doing the endurance, doing the ultra endurance stuff. So, so the, you know, the longer the distance, uh, for me, I think that that worked to my benefit. But there are guys that have done it on much steeper climbs, like George Vargas. I think he's out in California. He's done climbs that are 9 10 11%. And I think he's done an Everest in the short, shortest amount of distance as well. So um, it all depends on, on what your strengths are. And then you have to sort of consider your gearing ratios uh, in order to, to manage your energy output on the climb. So... For me, the, the climb was 96 meters. The total distance lap was 2.5 miles, just over four kilometers. And uh, yeah, that's uh, basically uh, by the numbers. And then 
I wanted it to be something that was community friendly as well. And uh, I picked the community just north of where I live called Terracotta and uh, wanted it to have a positive impact on that community. And I also wanted them to get behind it and support it uh, and the restaurants and the farms that are in that area and, and make it inclusive. And I also invited a lot of my cycling friends to come out and ride. So we had at least 50, 50, 60 cyclists that came out and rode two, three, four hours uh, during the day. And uh, I just wanted people to be part of it because if, you know, if I think about mental health, it's something that we can all conquer. And, and for me, the tagline was, you know, Everest, a mountain that we can all conquer together, you know, the mountain that is health uh, stigma. And I think that's something that we can all scale together. So um, the idea was to really just include everyone uh, in the effort and give people an opportunity to also do an Everest. And one of my good friends, Rod Nicole, that lives in the area, also uh, summited and did the full Everest thing with me. And, um, and I went on to sort of do a little bit more to sort of get into this exclusive uh, club called the High Roller Society, which is 10,000 meters on one ride with no sleep. So um, I was so close, so I figured, you know what, might as well just go a few more hours and, and get that accreditation. And I don't think anyone in Canada has done it. So it was kind of a first for that as well. Well, congratulations on that. Now, how much oh, thanks, money did you, you raise for Jack.org? And can people still donate? Yes. So uh, the original goal was $8,848. So basically $1 for every meter. And midway through the day, uh, we actually reached that target and I uh, called the Jack offices and I said, okay, well, I'm going to continue climbing and, uh, you know, let's, let's bump the number up to $12,000. And we've now since exceeded the 12,000 and uh, you can still, you can still donate, but I'd say, you know, hold off because we're going to do this event again. Um, and there's some details to follow, so stay tuned, but it's going to be on a much larger scale. It's going to be a registration-style event, and uh, we're going to get teams involved, and uh, it's going to be a great event next year. Larry, this is great. Where can people go for more information about that as it comes available? Uh, well, you can start off with uh, jack.org and just, just get some information about uh, youth mental health and some of the, uh, the great things that they're doing in the community. And then I've got my Facebook and Instagram where I'll be posting a lot of updates and my Strava and everything is under Larry Optus. Well, great job, Larry Optus. And thank you very much for joining us on Over the Top Radio. You're most welcome, George. Thank you. From the Scratch Lab studios in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.